Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, August the 3rd, in the year of our Lord, 2021. No, it's 2022. Okay. I'm a year behind. And we're going to be taking a look at Proverbs 10, verses 24 to 32. And we're going to be saying something about you in regard to your relationship to God that perhaps you have never heard before. And so this is really going to be very, very interesting. Proverbs 10, 24 to 32 is part of that section of Proverbs where there are many, many Proverbs. And in this section, Solomon is contrasting the wicked, which means unbelievers, with the righteous. And there's nine verses. Eight of them do a contrast between the wicked and the righteous. The only one that doesn't is verse 26. But we're going to be starting with verse 24. What does that say? What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. Now, that's the beginning of this section on Proverbs. What the wicked dreads will come upon him. What does that mean? Well, the wicked are unbelievers, and they have many things they fear in this world. They fear whether or not they're going to be having enough wealth to pay their bills. They fear that they may lose their job. They fear that their marriage may not stick together. They fear that their children will be disobedient. And the fact of the matter is, is these fears will come about because they are unbelievers. Now, why does that occur? Because an unbeliever does not receive blessings from God in light of their faith in Jesus Christ because they have no faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, the way God has set up the entire universe and the world, there are negative consequences to unbelief. And therefore... What unbelievers dread often will come upon them. But then it says, the desire of the righteous will be granted. Now, it's very interesting in this statement that it doesn't say who's going to grant them their desires. But it's clear from the book of Proverbs that the righteous are righteous because of God. And therefore, their desires will be granted. But what does that mean, that their desires will be granted? Their desire is really on the basis of what God has spoken to them. And and therefore, you have all kinds of Bible verses that indicate God's promises. In 
the Sunday school lesson, for example, for this week, we have Joseph, who has a terrible life, it appears. His brothers hate him because his father loves him more than the other brothers, gives him a coat of many colors. So when they get the opportunity, he comes to visit them when they are out taking care of the sheep, and they put him in a pit and end up selling him to slave owners who are taking him to Egypt. Well, at first, it seems like he has a pretty good life with Potiphar. Potiphar is an elected official, but his wife wants to fool around with Joseph and he won't allow her to do that. She gets so angry with him that she tells Potiphar a lie about what Joseph attempted to do and he's put into prison. Well, how do you think Joseph feels about that? He's thrown out of the family by the brothers. He's now put into prison. But in prison, there are two prisoners. One is a baker, another is a cupbearer who have a dream. Joseph is able to interpret the dream that the cupbearer's life will be saved, but the baker's life he is going to be put to death by Pharaoh. Well, the cupbearer gets freed, but kind of forgets about Joseph until Pharaoh has a dream and he wants the interpretation of the dream. And the cupbearer remembers Joseph and goes to tell Pharaoh, well, you know, there's this Hebrew boy in jail who is able to tell me my dream. Perhaps he'll tell you yours. And sure enough, when Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, he explains that the dream is going to lead to seven years of plentiful harvest, followed by seven years of great famine, not only in Egypt, but throughout the entire world. Pharaoh is so impressed that he puts Joseph in charge, second in command in Egypt, where Joseph make sure there's plenty of food that is kept for the seven years of famine, leading to Jacob sending his sons to Egypt to get food. And when he does so, of course, there's a reunion between Joseph and his brothers, and they come and live in the land of Goshen in Egypt until they get into slavery for 400 years they're there, until they're taken through the Red Sea to the Promised Land after another 40 years. So the desire of the righteous are granted because the desire is based on the promises of God. It doesn't mean that the righteous are aware that their desires are being granted because sometimes they feel that God has left them because of what is happening in their life, the sufferings that they go through, the persecution they go through. But their desire, as was with Abraham, will be granted because he looked forward to a new land that he would be going to. 
And that's what happened. So verse 24 of Proverbs is very important that as our desires are based on the promises of God, God never breaks his promises. He said to Joseph, he would never leave him. And in fact, what Joseph told his brothers that though they sold him into slavery, it was God who brought him to Egypt in order to save many people. And of course, continue the line to the savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 25, chapter 10, Proverbs. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Now, what is that talking about? Well, the word tempest can refer to storm. And the storms of life come upon all people. Uh, nobody is better off than someone else, regardless of their race, regardless of what nation they're in. They're all under storms that do pass by. But when the storm passes by and death is the result, which is the result of every human being here on earth prior to judgment day, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. That's talking about everlasting life. So there's another difference between the wicked, the unbeliever, and the righteous. The righteous continue in life. Verse 26 is the only verse that doesn't obviously contrast the wicked with the righteous. It says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a sluggard to those <clears throat> who send him. Now, the word sluggard is referring to a lazy person. And a farmer may have some workers who are lazy. And it is like having vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Now, in this context, vinegar to the teeth is kind of a, a negative thing. Now, I, I kind of like vinegar. I put it on a number of foods, uh, especially French fries. French fries with vinegar and salt, boy, that's a delicious item. But normally, vinegar to the teeth, that's not comfortable. Smoke to the eyes. Have you ever been in a room? I had a good friend and we would go and play bridge on Friday nights. And the place that we went to, people were smoking throughout the whole game. And there were many people in the room and smoke to the eyes was not helpful. So is the sluggard to the person who hires him and sends him to work. So here you have another example of an unbeliever as being lazy. Verse 
Now you're going to say, well, wait a minute. I know unbelievers who are not lazy. They get up early in the morning. They go to work. They accomplish a lot. They make a lot of money. Well, they're still lazy when it comes to the word of God. They will reject the word of God and not follow with the commands of God because they, like Adam and Eve, want to become like God. So verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Now, that sounds kind of strange, and yet we've explained it a number of times on Law and Gospel. What is this fear of the Lord? First of all, the word Lord in the English is all in capital letters, L-O-R-D. And that means it's referring to the name that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai at the burning bush, namely, Lord Yahweh, I am who I am. And so when Moses says, what is your name? After God promises he will deliver the people in Egypt, he says, I am who I am. In other words, once I make a promise, I fulfill it. Therefore, we have a fear of the Lord because he could send us to eternal condemnation because of our sin. And that's what was said in the day that sin occurs, death is the result. Now, God doesn't break his word. It's just that the death that results is not my death, but the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Remember the words of Jesus? My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? And the original Aramaic there really means, my God, my God, why have you left me alone? Because Jesus Christ alone pays for the price of your sin. He dies so that you will never really die, as he tells Martha when he raises Lazarus from the dead. And how is it that we never die? Because our bodies die, but our spirit does not. And it continues in life with Jesus Christ awaiting the day of judgment. So when it says the fear of the Lord, which is another way of saying, trust in the Lord for your salvation, prolongs life. It reminds us of a parable Jesus gave about a man who built his house on sand in contrast to another one who built his house on rock. Well, when the storms came, when the tempest passed, guess what? The house built on sand had crumbled, whereas the house built on the rock still stood. What is that house that stands? It's the Holy Christian Church. Believers who fear the Lord have their life prolonged because in contrast to the wicked, whose years will be short, very, very few people live up to 120 years old. 
In fact, that was a record I heard recently of an individual. I think he was 118 years old in Russia. That's about as old as anybody gets. In other words, those years of the wicked will be short in comparison to how many years the earth has been around, thousands of years. And yet, the life of the righteous will be prolonged, not only here on earth, which occurs sometimes, but eternally in heaven. So verse 28, let's look at the attitudes of the righteous versus the wicked. It says, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. See, the wicked cannot take anything with them when they die. All of it will perish. And the word hope here is often used in the Psalms as a synonym for the word faith. For example, we often use the word hope in an inappropriate way. Like you see a nice car, a brand new car, you're not sure you can afford it. And so you go to the car dealer to see about possibly buying the car. And somebody says, well, are you gonna get the car? And you say, I hope so. But that hope is part of your will, part of your desire. There's no assurance you're gonna be able to pay for that car, buy it and have it. So some people end up stealing cars and trucks that they like because they can't afford them. So therefore the expectation of the wicked will perish. But the hope of the righteous is a different kind of hope. If somebody would ask me, when you die, are you going to go to heaven? You say, on the basis of my hope, which means trusting in the promise of God, particularly in my case that he gave me in my baptism, that my sins are forgiven. I have a gift of the Holy Spirit, and heaven is my home. Then I know that that faith will bring joy. It may not be bringing total joy from my point of view here on earth, but it will bring eternal joy in contrast to the aspirations and hopes of the wicked all perish. Verse 29, the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The first thing we want to look at is that phrase, the way of the Lord is the only time that that occurs in the book of Proverbs. What is the way of the Lord? Well, Proverbs talks a lot about the two ways. The way of the unbeliever is the broad way Jesus talks about where the unbeliever thinks that by his works, he's going to merit heaven. In contrast to the way of the Lord, for the believer, 
is trusting in the promises that Jesus Christ has given us from the cross, that our sins will be forgiven, that heaven will be our home, that our life will be prolonged, and that we will have great joy. Then it says, the way of the Lord is a stronghold. Now, that word stronghold can also be translated as fortress. And every time it's used in the Bible, it always is representing God as our fortress. It reminds us of Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And that's taken from this Hebrew word for stronghold. But now we get to what I consider to be the most important phrase in the entire Proverbs chapter 10. The way of the Lord is a fortress for the blameless. Blameless. Who's blameless? I mean, do we not in our liturgies confess we are sinners by thought, word, and deed, and we do not deserve heaven, but we should be blamed so that we get temporal and eternal punishment? But in Christ, and this is the most important point, I believe in Proverbs 10, God declares you to be blameless. What does blameless mean? Well, it would be like a thief robbing a bank, being taken to court, declared to be guilty, but the judge declares him to be blameless. You are declared blameless even though you are a sinner. Now, is there anything parallel to that? Uh, perhaps the opposite, where someone is considered to be a sinner even though that person is blameless. And the person we're talking about, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is blameless. In regards to the law, he didn't break one of them. He was not a sinner. But in light of his baptism by John the baptizer, he became sin for us. He fulfilled the righteousness so that the plan of God from the beginning of creation, before the beginning of creation, was to have the second person of the Trinity who was blameless to be declared sinner so that he could die on the cross. That's what Jesus did for you. So here's a huge difference between the wicked unbeliever and the righteous believer. The righteous are considered blameless, which means they have no sin because Jesus has taken away that sin. Remember John the baptizer? Behold the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And he did that. If you are part of the righteous, verse 30 says, the righteous will never be 
removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. What's that talking about? Well, it's talking that the righteous will never be moved from the land in which they now live. And what is that land? It's the Holy Christian Church. So even when the righteous die, they will not be moved from the church, whereas the wicked will not dwell in the land. They're not in the land because they're unbelievers, and they will not dwell in the land when judgment day comes. Why? Verse 31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue, and that's of the unbeliever, will be cut off. This is kind of a response back to the previous verses in Proverbs 10 about how the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom in confessing the Holy Trinity as the way of salvation and Jesus Christ as the only way that a person is redeemed from hell itself to be placed in the land of the church. Finally, verse 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable to God, but the mouth of the wicked, that is perverse. How many people do we know today, even in these United States, who speak perverse things against the will of God, who live lives of unrepentant sin and don't care about it because they do not know God. They are like the foolish woman in the previous chapter. They have no knowledge at all of the true God. And even when they invent gods, their gods are equal to the interpretation of how they regard themselves. And therefore, they know nothing about God. Proverbs 10 which has the most important passage in verse 29, that the righteous are blameless in God's sight. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll continue with another take a look at how Law and Gospel help us to interpret God himself. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.
If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.